Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, listeners. I want to tell you about a sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week, they host different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like O'Teal Burbridge, Trouble No More, former members of the band, Milk Carton Kids, Nikki Glaspie, Bill Frizzell, Sean Colvin, and many more. This June, join the Fab Foe, Joan Osborne, John Sebastian, Marshall Crenshaw, and a great group of faculty for the debut of Magical Mystery Camp. This all-inclusive, once-in-a-lifetime music vacation experience in the heart of the Catskills will be packed with nightly performances, workshops, speakers, song circles, open mics, and a lot more. If you're a performing musician at any level, bring your instrument. If you're a music lover, bring your good spirit. It's an amazing experience for individuals, friends, and couples alike. Registration is open, spots are filling up, so check it out soon. And scholarships are available. Check out MagicalMysteryCamp.com slash HelpingFriendly to learn more. Osiris. We are live. Enough of this. Enough of this nonsense. We're live. Um, this is the Helping Friendly Podcast. We're all here on a Friday afternoon on the holiest of weeks to talk about one of the holiest tweezers of all time. I guess it was the island tour week. You're right. It was very holy. Here we go. <laughs> I'm non-practicing. We're starting, we're starting off strong I'm here. non-practicing um, island tour person? <laughs> is that what you mean, Jonathan? I'm agnostic on all things. I finally case, fish again this week for the first time in six weeks. So it's amazing. Okay. Well, we can't get into that. We're not allowed, <laughs> but we are allowed to talk about 40 for 40. This is it. And we're going to talk about 1994. We have a show from the year that we are going to explore together starting now. Um, 
Well, I guess no. not starting now. First of all, how you how, how's everybody doing? Good. Pretty good. I'm good. How are you, RJ? Good also. RJ is exciting. Me, because he's on vacation or mm. something. I'm on vacation too. Well, I'd um, see, I didn't say he was better than you. Better oh, that's true. Okay. I am okay. I am simply in a different location. I would not oh. describe myself mm. as on vacation. Yeah, but it's a vacation location. That's true. A vacation mm. from my problems. <laughs> name that movie. <laughs> no, nobody can name that movie. Are you guys kidding me? Jesus. I don't I, I don't, no, I, I don't believe from? in movies. What about Bob? Oh, nice. Mm. I haven't seen that movie since it was new. Yeah, you should revisit it. It's it's fantastic. Um, we are, and anyway, this is the Helping Friendly Podcast. If you haven't listened before, welcome. This is uh, you'll get used to it real soon. <laughs> um, so, guys, we are here to talk about a '94 show. We're rolling. We're rolling through the year, and um, we're rolling through the year of 2023. But we're also rolling through the years and reeling them in, also. So here we are to talk about '94, and. I have to say, I don't think we said this last time, and if we did, then I'll just repeat it. We have decided now that we're, what are we, like nine years into this project? Not nine nine Gregorian years, but nine years in terms of (laughs) the shows we're covering. We finally decided how to select the shows. I think we're 11 years in, but it's okay. Just keep going. (laughs) Perfect. So it took (laughs) us 11 episodes to figure out how to actually select the shows for the years, which is that we are... We are rotating picks. So are we are we telling people who picked the show? Because then we're gonna yes. like okay. Yeah. Yes. Because you need right. to be the scorn of everyone's wrath on this episode. Or or the celebration, you know. Or the yeah. celebration if you picked yeah, a good show. Exactly. This is this year is my pick. I got to pick ninety-four. And um Big we won't year. go back. We won't go back and tell you which which picks were previous years because it you know it's not it's not relevant at this point. But um, this was my pick, and next week you'll you'll hear about someone else who chose ninety five. So I picked eleven twenty eight ninety four because this is the um, this is the birth of the jam, as far as I'm concerned, which is also the name of a forthcoming album from our jazz quartet, uh, which will will form soon. But um, this. <laughs> Awesome this camera. show, I was I was really Brian Sunsex. <laughs> Brian's already already got the guests lined up for that. Yeah, <laughs> I gotta say, guys, I was I was surprised to learn that um, from Fishnet. Thank you, Fishnet. Thank you to thank you, Fishnet. To yeah, Scott and Fishnet. Charlie, you guys were the best. And, and thanks, thanks to Charlie, Dirk, Charlie, Charlie. Thanks always. For Charlie. Not only does he Charlie. point out what mistakes we make, he also yells at us for mistakes that he made that we point out. So (laughs) (laughs) there's a lot of yelling. So thank you. Um, I was surprised to learn today from Fishnet that this, this gig was originally scheduled for the, a gym that had a capacity of 1800 on the Montana state university campus and was later moved to the field house with a capacity of 8,500. I just think that was a cool kind of tidbit about how fish was growing at this time and how, you know, ninety fall ninety four. They're they're just around the corner from, you know, hitting arenas, and um, it's just it's interesting. Like we we're catching them at the end of this really pretty uh, pretty huge year. Um, and I guess Brian, you as a resident scholar, um, what what do you what do you think ninety four fish represents before we get into kind of this particular show? 
Uh, I think, you know, we talked about this last week with the 93 show that Jonathan picked, 826. We talked about this in 1992. Like, the foundation has been set for Fish going forward. Um, At this point, it's about diving into these songs, seeing what ideas can emerge from within these songs, and it's about exploring, uh, like, as far-reaching musical ideas are possible within a rock band setting. And I think that, as we're going to talk about a lot with this very, very big, potentially the birth of a jam, I think that's a controversial statement that uh, I'm interested in. Um, This band that is incorporating all these different styles, all these different ideas, taking massive risks and seeing what ultimately happens on stage, how do they long-term form a connection musically that um kind of goes beyond just the sum of the parts and that's that's what we're hearing here in 1994 you hear this in various ways the site the segway fest shows you hear it on halloween uh when they're trying to reinterpret the beatles um and this brilliant album the white album that has absolutely no bad songs on it i don't know anyone who would think <laughs> that the second half is terrible but some people apparently do um, that would but be a also ridiculous thing i can't imagine that ridiculous it's a brilliant brilliant album it's it's so good that they even released a deluxe reissue 50 years later with all these outtakes and other songs. And even that was amazing. It was, it was incredible work, but anyway, neither here nor there. I'm jamming right now, like fish. Um, this is the year where fish is just diving fully into their own heads towards this kind of amorphous goal that I would personally say is achieved by 1997. And you start to hear the hints of it now. Follow-up question from Neil. If 94 fish were a cheese, which cheese would it be? We're like in total blue cheese territory. Like either you love this and you want this on your steak and you want it in your salad and you want to just like take a chunk out of it and put it on like a nice little piece of bread or you fucking hate it and you can't stand this and you think it's moldy. For me, I'm really into it. This is like a the gorgonzola on a pizza, you know, it's just got that funky, funky taste to it, but I'm into it. I'm very here for it. The correct answer is Gouda. I don't know about that, but I'd just be curious like to hear your case. Are you going to get your dad card revoked for not getting that joke, Brian? Come on. All right. So <laughs> now, I think now we will move into everyone's favorite segment of the show. That's where the music will be. Meg's <laughs> Corner. Hello, Megan. Hi. Did you get me music, RJ, or not? Yeah, but it'll only be in the audio version. Okay. Ooh. Oh, cool. Okay, so everybody can just get excited about that. If you're listening live, lucky you. You get to have this, like, anticipation for what my music's going to sound like. But just imagine something that, you know, you think about when you think about me. So, you know, we'll see what people think that is. But it's RJ, Cameron in the background. It's it's not. <laughs> okay, yes, welcome to Meg's Corner. We're here to talk about 1994. This year, they played 126 shows. So this is now the seventh year in a row that they have played over 100 gigs. They're cranking. They are moving. They are doing two full country loops this year, one in the spring and one in the fall. And then in the summer, they're doing a huge East Coast and Southeast tour in all the amphitheaters that they play in today. They have a lot of really cool, interesting shows this year. Three-night run at the Beacon. They're gonna, they played at the State Palace Theater in NOLA with the Cosmic Country Horns, which we talked about last year, I think. Didn't we, RJ? I think we talked about that, right? Yeah. 
Um, they're going to play The Bomb Factory in May, obviously very important show. They're going to play Red Rocks. They're going to do a three-night run at the Warfield in San Fran. They're going to cover The Beatles' White Album, that perfect album. They're going to cover that in Halloween. And then they're going to have a huge New Year's Eve run. They're going to play in Philly, Providence, their first show at MSG. And they're going to play at Boston Garden with the iconic hot dog gag. So this is, to me, like, this is the year that Fish becomes Fish. I think in a lot of ways because this is the year when they kind of like establish all these things that they continue to do from that point forward that they become so well known for. And I think like Brian would say they just reached this like peak of precision and intensity in 93 and there was really only like outwards to go from there. They had to break the song structure, they had to start jamming in a way that kind of broke that mold of the song. And it's really cool musically what they're doing. They're doing a lot of these exercises in band practice, like the including your own hey and two plus two, where they're really practicing listening and communicating and complimenting each other during improvised music, which is really cool. And I know we're going to get into the birth of the jam and kind of the bomb factory and other shows this year that kind of influenced where they were headed and, you know, ultimately probably led to the Providence Bowie. But we're going to get into that. I know during the show and the other thing that's important is that they also were really stretching themselves as musicians as well like learning bluegrass with Reverend Jeff Mosier and they're also studying barbershop from Paige's landlord and I just think it's cool that they're this like rock band who's like you know reaching these peaks and they're still trying to learn new things that are hard for them and try them out on stage pretty cool we also have hoist released in March of 94 and this was a big change for them because they allowed a lot of record company involvement in this album. Had some guest musicians like Alison Krauss, Bella Fleck, and Tower of Power. And this year is going to see 61 debuts, which is definitely influenced by the White Album and also a lot of the bluegrass covers. But to me, it's, it's pretty incredible that they're still learning that many new songs in a year that's as busy for them as this. But we've got songs like Gaiuti, Simple, Jonathan's favorite song, Axel Part 2, Dog Face Boy, Son of a Mule, Wolfman's Brother, Julius, and If I Could. So some big songs this year. Um, okay. Thank you, Megan. And I have, I have a couple follow-ups. First of all, um, Brian Golenberg said, Trey breaks his leg in Buffalo. I never, I've never heard this before. Or I, I forgot. stepped in a hole on stage. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Sorry, Trey. That. that sucks. <clears throat> Rick would copy Trey. him. 25 years later by breaking his leg before the uh, Peach Festival show. So, okay, a couple other comments. Just, just I'm sorry, but that's the hell of a way to be a cover band. That's commitment. <laughs> um, incredible perp. Thank you for tuning in. Bangor, yes. That was that was, that was was in the top three choices for this. And um, mm-hmm. Team to Play, who I got to meet in Philly a couple weeks ago, said Providence Bowie overrated. And there's two options here, which are to put the user in timeout or block user. <laughs> And I'm not sure which one I, I to do. I think the latter is probably the most block. appropriate. Um, We're introducing a new segment of the pod called Cage Match, and this is reserved for hot takes in the comments section. We will know. Yeah, that. seriously. But you know what? He, um, he had such a great comment in that he thinks I should play stand-up bass yeah, in our jazz true. quartet. So, that's true. I mean, that's clearly well, the right answer to that. Okay. So, thank you, Megan. And, you know, I, I do think that this is this is the right – Set up, Brian. Is there anything we need to know about 1994 as a year before we before we talk about this show, especially this first set? That's just stunning. (laughs) 
We got some <clears throat> very important pop cultural events. So television is, uh, we are in the mid, mid, mid nineties right now. Like TV is at a, a peak period for my childhood, for your guys's adolescence. Uh, really just like you go back and you watch any of the shows. I'm Jonathan's Jonathan's I, first phase of adulthood. I was, yeah. I would <laughs> say it's a second. I, I feel like Jonathan was born at 31 years old and just totally. went from there. Um, so television, top five shows in the month of November, 1994. Number five, no surprise, Monday Night Football. We just love football in America. This is the 75th season. Number four, Grace Under Fire, a show that has just like completely been forgotten, but has been in the top five of the last two years we've done number three home improvement number two er george clooney anthony mm-hmm. edwards goose that's why he's wearing the goose shirt here because of anthony edwards just doing amazing stuff in uh, in a hospital and number one I don't know if I would say this is the greatest television show of all time. It's definitely the greatest sitcom of all time. And it is on its incredible hot streak at this point in time. Like this and the Simpsons are just at an absolute peak. This being Seinfeld in like seasons four or five at this point, which just amazing, yeah. amazing stuff yeah. coming out of New York. Um, music. We got one band. I don't know if you would call them a band. They're like a collection of singers and dancers, whatever, who make two appearances in this top five. But this is um, – this is around the time that I started to become aware of pop music. So there's a couple songs in here that like I had on mixtapes and I'm very embarrassed to say that on a live podcast, but I'm just going to say it because this is show business. You know, this is what we do. Number five, Bon Jovi, always. Number four, this was on a mixtape of mine, uh, Boys to Men, I'll Make Love to You. I definitely Listen. had that like like going out of my be- my bedroom. It was crazy. You do not have to be embarrassed about that, Brian. Boys to Men is fucking good. Okay. She's wrong. Like, come on. Come on. I mean, they just kind of sing and dance. Their harmonies? But, you know, that's soul. That is, it is soul. You're right. Number three, this was also on a mixtape. The Real McCoy's Another Night. This was when I learned what like a like 200 or 350 pound, like big muscular Eastern European guys, uh, sing speaking behind uh, a Swedish woman sounded like it was, it was fascinating stuff. Uh, number two, uh, any Camose? I don't know. Uh, here come the hot steppers. Anybody familiar with this song? Here come the hot steppers. Turn it up. Just, oh yeah, 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 yeah. There we go. I'm a lyrical gangster. I just kind of knew that song peripherally. I wasn't a, a, a I wasn't into it. But uh, number one, boys to men again on bended knee. So we go from I'll make love to you to on bended knee. We're just moving very rapidly through uh, the <laughs> mid '90s here. Um, movies. I'm gonna go in reverse order because actually the best movie is number five at this point in time. So bear with me. Number one, Interview with a Vampire. Just shit Amazing. movie with a huge cast number two the santa claus this was a big fucking movie for brian brinkman in november of 1994 like every single classmate of mine went to see the santa claus over thanksgiving break and came back and talked about it the entire monday that we got back which was probably Wait, monday like november santa 28th claus one the one it's like it's tim allen who like yeah, becomes okay. santa claus yeah yeah uh number three star trek generations Yes. Killer, killer film. Finally, something good in your list. Jesus Christ, <laughs> this has been just terrible stuff happening in the world that I was ignoring, <laughs> listening to Grateful Dead and Fish and building my record collection. But I definitely went and saw that movie when it came out. Fucking awesome movie. Uh, blew me away and continues to this day. Number four, a very underrated sci-fi movie that uh, I would recommend everyone out there watch. Stargate, starring Kurt Russell. We got wormholes coming into the world right now. It's amazing stuff. Number five, 
one of the most influential movies of the entire 1990s, one of the best movies I've ever seen, Pulp Fiction, incredible film mm. that was on its run yeah, at this point in time and oh redefining God. what movies would become in the 1990s. So we're in that mid-90s zone here. It's an incredible time to be alive. Uh, we are five months away from Michael Jordan coming back and playing professional basketball and tearing the NBA apart again. But we'll wait until 1995 to talk a little bit more about that. Wow, I can't Can even I, remember what question I asked, but thank you. I, w- I want to address something before we dive into the rest of this show, um, because there's an assertion that you made, RJ, that I think needs Uh-oh. to be kind of uh, touched on, which is the this whole birth of the jam. This show is significant. This tweezer that we're going to get to is massive and clearly was a candidate for the album, but probably too long in the album being a live one in case anybody cares. That's why they gave us the excerpt in Montana. Um, but the date was 1128 and just quick sampling. I have a couple other dates. You should know 11, two that's prior Bangor tweezer. Of course, mm-hmm. um, pretty good. Seems like they knew how to jam there. Um, eleven fourteen, Grand Rapids, Michigan. The Bowie from that night is my first show. Awesome, my first show. Megan can testify that it was pretty good. I mean, she saw that show and and look where she is now. So clearly, Megan wrote a pre-show essay, took notes during the show, and then did a live radio appearance because podcast did not exist. Breaking down every minute of that Bowie. <laughs> this true. next entry, this next entry, it may shock my fellow podcasters here. Um, Eleven sixteen, Ann Arbor, Michigan. The simple was a huge jam, despite it being a terrible song. And also that night, Stash <laughs> went big. Uh, but Stash had, had has been having a great year. Ninety four. We'll get into that. And and then also uh, a very important and worth worthy. The Minneapolis Bowie from 1126, which some mm-hmm. say may stand next to, some might even say above, they're wrong, the Providence Bowie. Perhaps the first usage of a vacuum cleaner in a truly musical way. It It is stunning mm. what John Fishman Always does with the vacuum cleaner. And you're, you're, you're knocking everything that Mimi did before <laughs> Fish even existed. So come on. I am. I am. So wrong. Okay. So, all right. Thank you, Jonathan. I didn't, this wasn't meant to be taken literally as in, this is the first time they jammed. However, I know, I, as a, but, as a, but I, but I really like to take you to task on. Something. I know. I, I appreciate it. And Ryan, Ryan said, Ryan, you're going to find out even more about this soon. Um, okay. <laughs> this was, this was the longest fish jam to date. This it, it will remain in the top five longest fish jams of all time, and that's all I have. So I'm just saying, yeah, but a I mean, of a, of a, of a kind of that like the 1126 Bowie is 36 minutes long. I mean, and that is it, it's a big what eight minutes difference, but we're all, we're already breaking the. 30 I think the middle break. ground, and I think the point that you're trying to make, well, RJ, this, the, the larger point, well, is this era. Exactly. Is yeah. the birth of the fish jam. Yes. It's not this the specific consistent. jam. It's this ninety-four. Yeah. I think this, that there's really a very this, like, clear November is really where it is. If you mm-hmm. you yes. look at the jam charts for 1.0 and you sort them by date, it's like 
a shit ton of things like, well, mostly you enjoy myself for years uh, with, you know, this like really cool moment that happened in a thing in like a five minute song, you know, micro jams and things. But then you get to this tour and the doors are thrown open and things just stretch and it's amazing. And the reason the Providence Bowie is so good, and I said this to these guys in text earlier, and I'm going to just say it on the record now, is because when they came out and did it in Providence, they realized that they could just do it now rather than spending a whole month or two months on tour warming up to it. They could just go there. See, okay, this is what I'm saying. Everything you said is what I'm saying. So we're good. Let's talk yeah, about good. this concert. Thank you, eh. Jonathan, for pushing. Because I, there's there's an important there's one important thing that ha- that happens during set one. I mean, we should just go to set two, but let's just touch on set one. The stash. It's amazing. I knew that you were going to say that. That was that was the mm-hmm. one thing I knew you were going to say. It's it's you're very on brand today, which is which is good. Speaking of, can you show the people your shirt? Yeah. See that. Peggy O. Yeah. It's a great song. Um, Okay. So this, this um, set starts. That is a great song with a repetitive riff. I'll just say that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. One that does not feel like ice picks in my brain. I mean, to be fair, (laughs) repetitive riffs are kind of like, that's kind of part of the definition of a song, but but we won't go. Okay. First set starts off strong with, with us chalk dust. And then nothing else really happens, <laughs> except there's a simple here. And, um, you know, the simple 94, as you mentioned, Jonathan, 94 is kind of the year of simple. And this one doesn't exactly. really go there. Um, but what do you guys, okay, I guess let's just talk about, let's, let me pose this as a question. If you had to choose, <laughs> would you take the song part of simple or the sit-in part of simple from this particular uh, version. Oh God! <laughs> this is the I'll the go song. controversial at the gate. The sit-in part of simple is the part of the song that's worth listening to. Except the camera, as a nine-year-old, is not that great a sax player, but the jam the band is playing behind him is actually really fucking cool. I actually agree with Great. Jonathan on this. Like Fish is yelling, like Boom. he's yelling, like yeah, yeah, like they're playing a really cool jazzy, like dark current theme underneath it like it's actually really good it's unsurprising that they're playing really well because the previous two simples were absolutely mind-blowing 11 16 94 and 11 25 94 this is an era where simple is realizing what it could be it's not just a joke song it's not just a transitional piece it's not just a riff it is actually becoming something that is going to inform where the band is going to go um i'm just curious like where how we ended up in the situation where a nine-year-old boy ended up on stage with fish that's like the only question i have at this point in time it's not his first visit I mean, let's recognize they basically babysat him uh, for in 1988 and when he first joined them on stage and he joined them again in 92 and 93 and once what? more here. <laughs> what are we um, talking about? <laughs> I'm just like, I'm not kidding, you know, so let's let He like, joined them multiple times before this? Yeah, this is his like fourth time on stage. What? This yeah. is like, I'm, I don't know if you're being serious right now I'm or joking, but I, I've never heard of actually livefish.com it's not just a fish net note that you could you know because charlie wrote it or whatever you can wonder if it's real um it's like it's real stuff sorry charlie 
Oh, wait. This is for real? He's been on before? Absolutely. I I realize that I say things on this podcast and other circumstances that are complete bullshit. Lifelong fan of the band. Okay. Lifelong. But lifelong at age nine. It's <laughs> <laughs> like we're getting into Ryan Storm territory here. Had been very <laughs> a lifelong fan. Exactly. So he's he's way older like Ryan Storm. Storm before before Ryan Storm existed. Are but there any? Trey rig, calls him the spirit of John that... Coltrane revisited. So you know. Well, it's a bit of a gag there. I mean, <laughs> having fun. But let's just we've been, we've we've been beating around the bush here. But let's just so Jonathan, you don't you have a problem with this song? Is what I what I learned today. I, simple the song like the thankfully not very long piece of music that is the song simple sometimes aggravates the shit out of me it's just like hmm, yeah i don't know like it, it, after about three minutes i just just push the ice pick all the way into my brain like end it all or start to jam whatever i'm just like I can't. They ru- they they ruined a bazillion versions of Mike's groove because <laughs> this song took away "I Am Hydrogen," and that's the only. Is, that's the only way your argument never makes come sense. back. That properly. makes sense as an argument. They that still makes sense can't play it right because but they stopped they playing played it every time. Simple after the twelve thirty ninety nine. Uh, Mike's song, which is one of the best Mike songs of all time. I don't know how it can ruin Mike's song. I'm going to turn the tables and ask uh, incredibly I was unfair. It hydrogen, meto- it, which is what matters. <laughs> oh, and then they played simple. I was there. I don't know. I know they played hydrogen because I was because they used to do it. Air air Mike scaring simple, my neighbors. Hydrogen weekapog. Yeah, um, like that. I'm going to ask an incredibly unfair rhetorical question, but just because it's been asked of me literally hundreds of times, even by people on this podcast, why can't you have any fun with like one of the most joyful, happy? <laughs> no, seriously, Jonathan, you are incredible. Like, us, like you don't like when Fishman comes out and does this stupid thing. Like it's just fun. No, like it's it, it literally hurts my brain head. Like today, listening to it today to prepare for this podcast for all of you fine people. I was ready to skip the song, but I knew we had to sit in in the second half. So I was like, all right, I'll sit, I'll sit it out. And Coltrane-esque sit in it. I mean, it's terrible. Uh, Coltrane-esque. The jam they play behind him is, is rad. And anyways, the real heat of this set is the stash perfect 94 coyote at this point they had it completely dialed in for yes. what it would be until it came back later with some revisions and also an outstanding divided sky jonathan when the coyote came on i was like oh god they're playing coyote i have to be nervous then i was like no it's 1994 i don't, I don't. <laughs> not only do you not have to be nervous you have to be like yeah 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 it's i so just like I, I can't wait till the next time i'm at a fish show with jonathan and like everyone in the whole arena and me are singing like because we've got a band and Jonathan's just standing there with his arms crossed yes. I have to pee so pissed off you'd be like get me a beer I think I just just, just, just transitioning back to, to this set um, I think the stash like Jonathan can you get me a beer during that time no Okay. Can you get me chicken fingers? Um, I think the stash kind of symbolizes what I feel about this overall set. Uh, It hints at darkness, doesn't fully go there, but it hints at it. And it does this amazing thing that stash could do in 93, 94 and 95, where you could get an 18 to 
45 minute version of stash as we will see basically a year later from now where the band goes fully in or you can get these like 30 to 45 second pockets of just like boom we're in it and then we're back at it like this is like a nine or ten minute long stash it's really tight it's really focused there's like no frills in this overall set it's just like boom 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 here are great fish songs that are being performed in really high caliber ways that Honestly, aside from the Shock 2001, which was played for the first time in set one since 727.93, only 20 times ever played in the first set in Fish's history. Aside from that, there's not a ton of surprises in here. It's just, you know, a really solid first set that is a very nice, um, you know, appetizer as you get set for one of the greatest Fish jams of all time. But Full also, this is like what people to- went to go see Fish in 1994, went to go see. Like, we didn't go see expecting 40-minute jams. At least I didn't. I mean, I went to see, you know, Gaiuti played perfectly. I went to see Sparkle because, like, I was, you know, a kid of 17, and there's just, like, this unbridled enthusiasm and, like, these lyrics that, like, are meaningful to me at that point. You know, I think that the precision and the interesting things in the way that the they were able to like manipulate the crowd is why people went to go see fish in 94 i'm this stash is a perfect example of that like they have the crowd in the palm of their hands they get so quiet and then they like slowly build it up and you know i posted some of my like silly journal entries from my after my first show but it really stands out and i always say it on this pod but it's true the way that fish is able to manipulate an audience and communicate with their audience and play with them is was so unique to them. I had never seen a band like that. And they do that in this first set. And so even though it's not like, you know, this incredible first set, I would say even like the show we talked about last week for 93, it's great. It's great fish. It's like so well played and just people are so into it. That's my pitch. 94 is like in spring of 94, they just really turned up stash, the heat on stash so high that they could just execute it at any length, like Brian was referring to, like in a flawlessly, they could just, they knew the pockets to dive into with this song. And this, so it's a great version. And I totally agree with you. And to Ryan Storm saying, imagine going to see fish to see sparkle noob. He suggests, please noob. Um, Sparkle is exactly what 1994 fish is. Yeah. You don't understand that. You need to go do some homework friend. So that is sparkle is sparkle is wow. great. It is a blast. Wow. Well then, Jonathan, are you do you have any uh, anyone else to yell at before I just, we yes. <laughs> Let me just say uh, no, um, uh, actually I want to support Megan's assertion that we weren't going to see 30 minute jams. Yeah. Well, um, we didn't these, even know they were possible until right. this particular point. These things started popping up and they like broke Rosemary's Digest. If you don't even know what that is, I do. <laughs> yeah, that's a it's a cookbook. That's it's a good cookbook. All right, so we're gonna get into set two after a very brief pause. Hey, babe, what you got there? This is a check from Carvana. I just sold my car to them. I went online and Carvana gave me an offer right away. Then they just picked up the car and gave me this. Well, that's a big check. Well, obviously, you could put this towards your next car, or we could finally get that jacuzzi, or I could start taking tuba lessons, or I could quit my job and write my memoir. Or I can put it towards my next car with Carvana. Sorry, your check, not mine. Sell your car to Carvana. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to get a real offer in seconds. What is a city without its music? Music. 
The legacy of the New York Philharmonic is incredible. Nearly two centuries of history. That's a lot of music and a lot of stories. I was sitting on stage for the very first time thinking, I can't quite believe this is happening. Join me, Jamie Bernstein, as we explore the history of the New York Philharmonic. It's the NY Phil story made in New York, a podcast about a city, its people, and their orchestra. Listen wherever you get podcasts. You guys like that? That break was shorter than most fish set breaks, but not all. Um, the, the only one that was shorter was Big Cypress. Um, okay, guys, this um, second set, it's not even, Tweezer doesn't even open the set. Tweezer comes later. There, there's some other stuff happening here. Trey forgets the words NICU. They play some other stuff. What, um, what, <laughs> do we have to talk about anything else or do we have to just go straight to this? Just go no. in. Go there's ahead. a there, great there's a reason why the last you. four songs of this show for me have zero notes because it's it all ends with the tweezer. Yep. Well, there's a fishnet yeah. review <laughs> that basically says the tweezer is amazing and everything else is just straight ahead in because it doesn't need to be anything else. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I've I've never heard a fish show that is more just about one jam than this. Maybe Banger 2020-2022, but this show it is just the jam. Um, okay. So first of all, Trey's vocal stylings during the song part of Tweezer should have continued. So good. It, you know, it's just so fun and Tweezer. Yeah, I just think so he should good. do that. And yeah. to Scott's question, we try. We do our best, but we, we argue a lot on text before to get to get riled up. So that's why. <laughs> to Scott's question, just wait until we get to the hiatus and break up years. Man. Oh man. Yeah, it's not even started yet. I quit. So one thing I was I have a question for you guys about tweezer, about this tweezer, which is you know, Trade had talked about listening to My Bloody Valentine and being influenced by Kevin Shields and all the, you know, layered effects that he used in his guitar. But it's sort of like suddenly in 1994, Trey discovered that you can like make guitars sound spacey, you know, it like never really happened before. And then he was like, oh, wow, you could like press this button and it sounds like outer space. Like, that's pretty cool. But I'm just wondering how that actually like happened in because it really did kind of start in 94 and then it still exists today but like before that it was just not part of the i I guess i guess maybe in earlier it was but maybe they just didn't have like a vehicle for it i think it's really about the dynamics of the room and the pa really changed the way they played the Mm -hmm. songs i think benji talked about this on undermine or somewhere I, i know i've heard him talk about it um and and it's totally right it's that you know the Coupled with, you know, the bigger light rig and the things that Kuroto was doing, they were really changing the way they related to a, a, a venue. And some of these things just, they played so differently. And the fact that they found that they could keep the audience engaged when they got quiet, even in a bigger room, allowed them to just do more and more with it. I think that that's, I think it's the technical aspect. I think that's totally spot on. And I think this stuff is way harder to do on stage than anybody thinks that it is. And Trey has spoken about it from the stage. It was the uh, most lucid thought that happened during Coventry where he talked about the monitors and talked about their sound engineers and how important their work is to what the band has been able to do over the last, uh, at that point, over the last 21 years. Um, I think it's also 
and it's part of the reason like I went back years ago and listened to all of 92 and 93 in a row when you hear them just like so tight and you hear the chances that they're taking are more comical than they are musical from a risk-taking standpoint, you understand that they're just trying to see where's the edge, where's the line with our audience, what are they willing to follow us with? And what we talked about last week, that 93 show, that first set that we talked about that we were all so glowing about, like that is where you're hearing them play a very straight set list, but figure out what is within these songs. Now, 15 months later, the band has done that over and over and over again. They've done things like the Bomb Factory Tweezer. They've done things um, uh, like the uh, Milwaukee OJ show, the uh, uh, Columbus, Ohio, uh, that, you know, that, that, that Segway Fest that was released as Live Fish 8. Um, they've done, you know, 7894. You've got Gamehenge in set one in front of this huge crowd, and then you've got these huge jams off of big songs in set two. They've started to do this as they move into the fall tour, but like November is really where they say whatever hijinks we offered in the past as a way to really test the audience and see where the audience was willing to go with us, we're going to now apply that entirely to music. And so you have this like technical know-how of this band that's been on the road since basically 1989 without stopping five years at this point in time on the road combined with a band that like musically is doing these exercises at home and is willing to try things out and see if they work in some cases they're going to fail. And this jam, I, I annotated like this entire jam, literally like every other minute, there's something completely new being mm -hmm. thrown out. That's totally different from what happened a minute before. And it may not initially work, but like they're willing to give themselves the patience like that those two minutes they've tried something new and are trying to build that have to feel like the longest two minutes on stage when they're doing it. it has to be absolutely terrifying. And when it works and it works brilliantly at one very specific segment of this jam that I want to dive into here in a couple of minutes, but like when it works, you can see the full brilliance of what this band is going to become. I think patience is the keyword. That's like what kept coming across to me that they were just willing to like, you can hear a million places where this jam could have ended, you know, it's yeah. just, and they sit in it. They just sit in it. It's, it's incredible. Yeah. The so, number of like trap doors that they, they bounce mm -hmm. or bounce over and don't dive through uh, when it gets super weird. And like, even some of their audience members were probably like, uh, is this going? It, well, probably yeah. a number of them were like, is this going somewhere? What is this going into? Or And, and some were probably going like, are they done yet? There's, yeah. I'm sure there's some people oh, yeah. who are like, what? Um, because again, as we said earlier, you don't, you didn't sign up for this in 94. Mm -mm. Um, so, so glad they went there. So I think the, so the first 10 minutes or so, are and this is a you know this is a long jam so i'm just gonna just the first quarter is like pretty straightforward they're in like a nice tempo but it's it's fairly straightforward then they get into this like dissonant space which sounds kind of like band practice you know they're just kind of like messing yeah. around and then trey starts this riff around like 15 minutes right before that montana segment that yeah, i'm a man jam oh, okay yeah and that it, it feels like he's trying to like slightly divert and and maybe even slow things down a little bit and then they all just fall like fall right behind them in that and then you get into this this montana jam which everyone knows from a live one but to me the the page switching to the piano around that time that's what like 
pushes this yes. to the next into the next phase. So that's like the first, I don't know, 15, 17 minutes or something. Didn't we talk about that last week about how, you know, when he mm-hmm. goes to the piano, it's kind of like an interesting way to extend and change the dynamic of that is always important and always, frankly, welcome. Yeah, it's so dramatic that that build yeah. drama in a way that is like another instrument just can't do it, you know, the way a piano can. Well, it's it's interesting because like when they come out of the uh, Montana segment, uh, I noted around 1930, like Trey plays the tweezer riff. And you said, Jonathan, like there probably were moments where people thought like, is this yeah. over? Like, when is this going to end? They go into the digital delay loop jam. They build up to this like punk metal groove. And then uh, around 30, 55-ish, 31 minutes, Paige goes entirely to piano. Everyone drops out. Ugh. It's just Paige. And it's Paige for, as I noted it, Two minutes and 45 seconds. Now, that may be off by a couple, but like it's literally just a page solo until Mike comes in, starts complimenting with melodies. Trey starts doing volume swells. And then at 35.08, Paige drops out. And it's just Trey and Mike doing like an Eno Fripp back and forth ambient jam preview four years earlier. And then Fish comes back in right before 36 minutes as they come out of the darkness it sounds like they're about to go into slave they come out of the darkness they go back into this like uh uh uh, like rock and roll peak it goes into tweezer reprise like that segment though from 31 minutes to 35 minutes i mean we're talking four and a half five minutes of just page focused on the baby grand this is a thing only fish can do. And this is one of the things that separates them is this deep into a jam, they're willing to just give it all over to the piano. And he's not playing like ragtime. He's not playing (laughs) something like super contemplative and super like emotional the way that the piano can sometimes sound like he's playing like, I mean like Baroque esque music. Like it sounds like, like Glenn Gould at times. It's like super chilling. It it sounds like jazz. It's, it's, it's insane that he's able to do this at this point in the jam. It's okay. so terrifying that part. I, it's just, I wrote in my notes, like it's so terrifying because there's like this droning sound going on and it's like the end of the digital loop, And it just, then it just lands in this piano solo and it's so crazy because it's just so unexpected and the crowd is just like goes insane when Trey starts to come in over the piano and you just get like chills, like full body chills. And you can just hear the song almost like coming back in, like you almost hear Tweezer. And it's like, you know that like nowadays Trey would just like lock in and bring it back. And it's like so nice to hear them like kind of nod to it, but then like they just kind of like creep out of it like this demented carnival ride and it's like this winding down droning feeling and it landing in sleeping monkey it's just it's so beautiful I, I i haven't listened to this tweezer in so long and it really it really blew my mind yeah the um landing in sleeping monkey is perfect but i, I just wanted to yeah. shout out again that when mike comes in after the solo piano bit or mm. on top of the solo piano bit is so good and um you know, really makes up for writing simple. <laughs> I think I, I I tweeted at Scott Marks. You guys might not agree, but I did. I I think that he teases Jessica there in his little bass solo. I l- kind of listened for it, but I didn't notice it. But I I, I need a timestamp, so send me that later. It, I will. It's the beginning of that. But yeah, I mean, <clears throat> we didn't talk about twelve twenty nine ninety four because we have talked about it so much in in in, in on camera and off. But to me, the 
there's so many similarities, especially that what you you described, like the the Dave's Energy Guide, you know, the kind of letting it dissolve and then picking it up with that Dave's Energy Guide riff and then getting into a new jam. I think in in looking listening back to this, it doesn't have that like it doesn't have like the the payoff of the Providence Bowie. I think mm-hmm. in in terms of like the just in terms of like the melodic peak that is it's always just, got the structure to give you it ends payoff. on a peak it's yeah, yeah. With yeah. That. well i mean like, the, like i mean the blissful art. i mean the blissful peak of uh, of the providence yeah, yeah. bowie with with like when page and trey are oh, i can hear now this has like it but there's a lot more kind of going on here it's um it's it's a really pretty fascinating fascinating piece of music and man i like that the like you said megan i like that the tweezer reprise energy that's in there doesn't like it's just sort of part of the you know return to the to the song not necessarily mm-hmm. the, uh, you know the song itself is it's a it's a pretty thrilling uh 40 some minute adventure needs more whistle yeah i think <laughs> i mean there's there's two sides to look at this like Personally, I love these kinds of fish jams, but I also understand people that find this intimidating and find it too much, even though I, I don't agree. Um, to me, like it's fascinating to think about where they're at right now and where we've come from listening to this band from uh, 12 to 83 as, as we started this project and as they've like grown through the 80s into the 90s and like where they are now feeling completely free to jam this way on stage. But you think of like six months ahead they're going to dive fully into this style of music. And pretty much every single show is going to have a jam like this where you got like five minute segments of ideas that build out and there's really no peak that they're going to. It's really just exploration and it's, and it's something that they'll abandon by the next fall. Um, they'll do this a couple of times, the, the Providence 95, uh, disease, the Worcester 97 runaway gym, but they really kind of put a pause on this approach to jamming until 2019. And it's it's really mm-hmm. fascinating that we don't hear them really dive into this type of jamming until the Ruby Waves uh, from Alpine Valley. You could potentially make an argument for the Chalk Dust Torture from Randall's Island, but that is way more organic to me than the Ruby Waves was. This is just like a, a stylistic approach that it seems like the band utilized uh, once in their career in like one specific area when they were trying to accomplish from what I hear, like inner band communication and, and risk-taking in front of an audience got what they needed out of it and then abandoned it almost as quickly as they came into it because they found perhaps they didn't need it. Perhaps they felt like it was dragging down shows. Um, I don't know. I'm curious, like your mm-hmm. guys' thoughts on, would you like to see jams like this continue to be implemented in fish shows on a regular basis? Yeah, I mean, I I, I don't know if it's I don't know if it's possible anymore. I mean, I mean, they've done it recently. They they do it. It maybe not to forty four minutes all the time, and I don't think they always have to be that this long to contain this kind of strength. Um, Mm -hmm. Twenty some minutes might be enough, but yeah, I'm always I'm always there for big jams so well can i just and sparkle sorry to interrupt jonathan but brian just to to your point i think the ruby waves jam from alpine and the soul planet from shoreline yeah i think those were both intentional like we are gonna 
I mean, trades talked about that with Ruby Waves. Yeah, they, yeah, they yeah, thought yeah, it was yeah, going to totally. be Mercury. And clearly the shoreline thing, like they moved it because of the fire the, from Tahoe, right? Yeah. I think those were like, let's do something. Whereas I think here it's like, it was just how they were playing. So yeah, I think, I think right a 20, that. you know, like, a, like the down with disease from Mexico, which is like 23 minutes, super upbeat, really fun. Like that to me is where the natural jams happen, which mm-hmm. is like, you know, major key modulation, like some fun kind of, you know, and then building some peaks. And that's kind of, that's the, that's the jam that happens now. I think if they're going to do it like they did with those two that I mentioned, it's a little bit more like we are going to have to focus on that. Um, and I don't think it's because of lack of patience. I think it's just like where they are as a band. I agree. I do think it's interesting though, just to bring some stats into this. I went yes. through the 10 longest tweezers. Um, first one about mud island 61495 4949 second 62295 finger lakes oh stop it 45 minutes uh third one is this one unless you adhere to the fish.net set calls this tweezer into digital delay loop jam back into tweezer which i don't because i think digital delay loop jam is included within a jam uh, this would be 4403 without that uh this is where it gets really interesting, okay? To all of our points that we're making right here. The fourth longest tweezer, Tahoe, 3616. The fifth longest tweezer, MSG, 123918. Six, Shoreline Ten two twenty eight two thousand three twenty six thirty eight. I don't know exactly what to take away from this, other than the fact that like Tweezer is the outlier in all this. It is the portal. Aside from when they specifically say to your point, RJ, in Ruby Waves or in Soul Planet, we want to explore what these songs can open up for us in in a jamming standpoint. Tweezer is the one song that like throughout their career you can. I don't know if expect you can expect it, but like you can track their desire to experiment on a wild scale through mm-hmm. Tweezer throughout their career. Yeah, which goes back to our point: like, would fish be fish without Tweezer? I think we decided they would, but I really do think that that is the place where they find the most experimentation. And I think they can still go there, and I think they do. It's just that it's magic to get there. You know, in 1994, they were in a different place, and they were consciously trying to push this and i think now when they land there it's usually because they found a tweezer that opened it up for them or they're intentionally trying to but i also think that you know anytime they're listening and being really patient and playing in a way that's unhurried and inspired that's when you get this and i actually don't care either if it's 20 minutes or 45 but when they're playing creatively and listening to each other like you can tell and i think they i I think they still have the capability to do anything they want to do it's also perfectly good 15 and 17 minute tweezers and whatever yeah, out totally. there. So, yeah, um, but you know, the idea, the thing is that is if they're listening at the door, that's usually enough to get you something good. Sometimes they yeah. decide to open the door. Sometimes they really go through and then they realize there's no floor and we're all falling and God help <laughs> us. That's when it's really great, but um, <laughs> it can still be good even if they don't open it. Well, I I just want to say, nobody asked, but I just want to tell you, the the most interesting jam to me of of 2022 was the Rise Come Together from Raleigh. Because... It's a good jam. 
because it it's came out of a totally man. unexpected place and it i think that is like where the the surprises happen you know is when they yep. really like yeah. Like that, that to me is so that, that gives me more than anything they played in 2022 gives me hope and, and makes me feel like this band has a lot more to do when, when things like that happen. So I feel like that that's like analogous to something like this happening in 94, but Mm -hmm. you know, I don't know. No, I think that that's very spot on because you think of, I don't rise come together debuted in I think 2017 tweezer debuted in 1990. Like we're at a very similar mm-hmm. point in time. Like they never treated rise the way that they were treating tweezer. You didn't have a four twenty one ninety two esque version of rise come together. It was a total shock thing when it happened, but it's one of those songs that's kind of like, it's just still a relatively new song in the band. And it's still a song that like clearly Trey puts a lot into because it means a lot to him. In 1994, that was Tweezer. Tweezer was the opportunity Mm -hmm. for them to, as Jonathan said, and I'd never thought about this way, but it's a brilliant like mental image. The idea of like, do they want to open the door? And then what happens when you walk through the door into the darkness? Anything can happen at that point. And Tweezer is the best. Tweezer and Bowie historically were, were the songs that once that door was opened, they could kind of go anywhere and they were willing to go anywhere. And you hear that now with like new songs, Soul Planet, Set Your Soul Free, Everything's Right, Rise Come Together, the Raleigh version, um, Ruby Waves, Wave of Hope. Yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of doors opening, we may have to close the door on this episode, but any <laughs> – Jonathan didn't like that at all. Well played. <laughs> any, <laughs> any closing words on, uh, on, on, this, on this show? I mean, I just have a question as we're moving through this and as we're moving into next week, we will be talking about the greatest year in fish history. There's no argument. I won't hear them. Megan has to pick the show. It's a lot of pressure. Um, She's been working with a consultant to help her uh, figure out what is the best show to decide for this uh, this show. Throw a dart and you'll hit one that's worth playing. Right, I'm right there with you. But this is the fun of it: is we don't we don't all get our favorite years unless I got 2004. Um, but I want to ask everyone a question here: um, this jam, this style of jamming, how do you hear this impacting the band as they move into '95 and like as they move into this next chapter of their career? I, I think we should table this uh, until we can really talk about it with 1995. Like, I think we should. That's a very good question we should all be thinking about as we step away into our lives for the next week, listen to whatever show Megan picks, and then we all come back with a really comprehensive answer. Because I don't know if we should comment on 1995 and 1994. I thought you didn't like rules, Jonathan. No, I don't like rules. I I like making shit up as we go, which is what we're doing right here. I just, I only want to say, I just want to go back to what Jonathan said in a partial answer so that Brian at least gets some satisfaction from asking the question. Oh no, so I'm here to prevent that. Which is that the, the door, the door was opened, you know? I think that's the, and then, mm-hmm. and then like that to me is the, is the significance of, of this year. Yeah, I agree. That's it. There we go. All right. The door is open. The yeah. door is open and our door is always open. You can hit us up on social media or email. Just tell us what you think of the show. <laughs> just trying to do, just trying to, trying to do the best I can here to do some puns and plays on words. All right. We'll see you guys next week. Thanks, Megan. Thanks, Jonathan. Thanks, Brian. Thanks all. Thanks, Thanks everybody.
Osiris. Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effing Perspective don't have to wonder, because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast.